Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Hi everyone, evening and morning to you all. It's a real privilege to share time with you in the Word. Yeah, we're going to be doing something maybe a bit different. Uh, I'm my father's son, but by blood maybe, but I, I do things a bit differently to him. And it's all good, different diets, not bad now and again. Today I wanted to speak about something that I've given a lot of thought and meditation since I've joined the ministry, but particularly this week. And uh, it was prompted by a question that Michael asked me on Tuesday during our Bible school uh, lesson. And Michael, Michael basically gave voice to a question that I've internalized and asked myself over and over. And like I said, I've pondered it, pondered it since my transition into full-time ministry. Uh, those of you who don't know, um, I worked in the IT industry and software development. I was basically a project manager. And I worked in a small company that had a lot of work to do and managed a lot of uh, clients. And I was basically project managing uh, software development for about 12 years. But the Lord transitioned me in March coming, in March 2020, it will be about three years I've been in, in full-time ministry. Being a pastor kid my whole life, knowing, knowing a little bit about ministry, but it's very, very different when you, you're in it and you're amongst it. So the question that Michael asked me was this. He said, today, if you were to go back to your previous company, working once again in the 95 office life with colleagues, clients, and deadlines, after your recent deepening experience in the word and the gospel, would you be any different going back now? Would you engage with people and the lifestyle differently? And like I said, it was a, Michael voiced a question that I have thought a great deal. And to be honest with you, it is, it's a tough question. And if I can just share what I would think, honestly, I worry over time that my hunger and thirst for scripture and kingdom life would eventually be quelled by the busy, busyness of not only a working life, but trying to balance everything. Um, you know, God, for me, I'm blessed that, and dad, speaking to dad this morning, he, he assures me that and I know God called me into a different season of my life. I am where I'm meant to be now. Um, I'm not, it's, it's almost like I had a season of preparation, just like Moses under his father-in-law and Jethro had to, he had to tend sheep. I had a season of preparation until I'm into ministry. But you know what? You know, for me, God had to physically take me out of that working world because he knows that this ox, me, needs to work and feed on the grain of God, allowing to consume my whole being. And I've been really blessed with that, and I'm privileged. But I ask another question. I ask, what about the rest of us? What about those, those of you who are in the working world, the vast majority of the population of this world, who are not privileged to, to work in and with God's word? I'm troubled by that question, I can assure you. It's something that I ponder all the time, leading Bible study and ministry, and just thinking about other people. And another Michael, Michael Weiss, who you can see in front of you today, 
in hearing of my transition and seeing my transition into ministry encouraged me. He said, never forget the working and the, and the life that I operated in and wrestled for 12 years, trying to balance family, work, and church responsibility. He urged me to never forget that. And this reminder always rings in my ears to this day. And it's always one of the first things that I consider because I know that season of preparation for is for a reason. And every time now I lead either Bible study or engage in church life, I'm reminded to, to understand and encourage others in their, in their situation. So this week I, I took these questions, I verbalized them, and I took them to God. I asked, how can people enjoy spending time with you and your word in such a demanding world which selfishly grabs hold of their time, attention, and energy. We all know this world is its irrepressible. It grabs hold of us and it doesn't let go. And even today, I struggle. And if, how, if I struggle, how much more do people that who are really, hours, working hours are extended, they're more than they've ever been. We can't get time away from our office. Our office follows us home. We have devices where we can be reached and contacted anytime through email, text messages, or phone calls. So like I said, I took this question to the Lord. And I believe he, he gave me an answer. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. And in reading and meditating on a book, it's called How to Pray the Psalms by Alexander Fenter. Some of you know him. I believe the Lord gave me an answer. In one sentence, Alexander Fenter states, God is a God of rhythm. He brings order out of chaos by creating rhythm. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. I've done some study on, on what this rhythm of God is and how we can find rest while working in this rhythm. You see, I was reminded how our world, everything we experience is patterned and filled with cycles of rhythm. We have night and day. Our lungs also operate in rhythm. They expand and they collapse. We breathe in and we breathe out. Our heart, that's one of the most common things of rhythm that everybody has. Everybody has a heartbeat, a constant heartbeat, a contracting and relaxing of the heart, pumping blood throughout our bodies. That is all organs of rhythm. And in my meditation, I was reminded of one of the first portions of scripture that the Lord personally reanimated in my own heart in the early days of my ministry. And that scripture is one of the first portions of scripture for everybody. It's Genesis 1, the creation account. And Alexander Fenter also refers to it. And like the Hebrew author that penned Genesis 1 before him, he points out that God breathed rhythm in the first pages and the first words of the Bible. And that's what I'm going to just maybe give a different look to what you're used to and just delve a bit deeper into Genesis 1 and share the insights that I've found in my own personal studies. You see, it's a, it's a very familiar text, and maybe we've become too familiar. So I'm going to look at it at a different angle. I'm going to change it slightly. Maybe you haven't seen something that I'm about to share. Maybe you have, and that's great. So we're going to read through chapter 1, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter like we're familiar, but I'm going to read a portion of it to, to give a foundation. And I'm going to highlight rhythmical beats of this passage, and I want us to focus on that, on that phrase of rhythmical beats. And try and see and try and identify the rhythm that the author is, is putting across. Not only the words that he uses, but how he puts those words and how he structures it. He's designed it very skillfully and he's done it with great purpose. And this is what we're going to 
we're going to focus on. I'm going to read just the first accounts of the first two days. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. I'm going to read from the ESV if you want to follow with me. I do recommend that we read it together in our own Bibles. Genesis 1, right in the beginning of the Bible, verse 1 to verse 8. Like a, a big surprise, it starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, let, the, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening. And there was morning the second day. So I'm just going to read it, leave it there for now as we're going to carry on in a second. But I wonder if you've already picked up the rhythm of the structure of Genesis 1. You see, if we study the overall literary structure, we can see the author focuses on these rhythmical beats. He almost, it's almost like a framework that he rests the words and the power that those words carry in there. And I'm going to just highlight them and extract them for you. The first thing you're going to notice is that the certain phrases that are repeated in a pattern, in a rhythm, over and over. For example, God speaks. Things come into existence, and God sees that it is good. We read the first two days. Both they said God speaks, things came into existence, and God sees that it is good. But notice there's another pattern, and, and how that is symbolizes the beginning or the end of each day. It says evening and morning. Notice the first day, God says he creates light. And the, the reason for that, I believe, is he separates the night from the day to point out this pattern of evening and morning throughout the chapter. The author purposely uses that as a vehicle or a structure to pattern the rest of the six days. It's a pattern. We need to see it as such. Before, there was just darkness. So you can see God bringing order and rhythm into the, into the world through time, through a period, through a measurement. No matter who we are, all of us, we all experience the rhythm of night and day. We all experience the rhythm of work and rest. Every single person on this earth experiences night and day. Notice the order, however. It's night first, then it's the day. This is why, I don't know if you all know, that the Jewish people believe the start of the day is actually sunset. It's the beginning of the evening. And you can see why by just reading the very first few words of the Bible. It's, it's presented that way, evening, then morning. In our conference that we had in the Grapevine Cluster uh, in a couple of months ago, Alexander stressed that this order is, on, is how we are to structure our day. First evening, first the resting in God's creation, and then we go out into the world with industry and activity, not the other way around. So let's repeat the structure that the author has given and the pattern that he has given and the rhythm is as follows. God said, and it was so, and he saw it was good. And it was evening and morning. You see those four beats there, persistently and consistently being repeated across the, the six days. God speaks, 
creation exists. God sees it was good. And it was evening and morning. Now, if you read through Genesis 1, you also see words being repeated or themes being repeated. One of those patterns is the act of how God separates. Notice, first thing he separates is heaven and earth in verse 1. Then, verse 4, night and day. Then, I'm sure a lot of you, when I read the, the, second, the second day, you were confused about the waters. We'll get to that in a moment. But it was basically, it separates the waters above, which is classified as heaven, and the waters below in verse 6. You see, before the world was characterized, before it was void and without form, it, you could call it a watery wasteland. There was darkness over the deep. And like I said, we're going to touch on that soon. And then the next thing you separate is the land and the sea in verse 9. Again, the separation continues. The sun and the moon and the stars, verse 14 to 19. Once again, in verse 20 to 25, he separates fish in the sea, animals on the land. Are you beginning to see how the author, through structure and design of the text, is emphasizing how God in creation brought a patterned order from a chaos existence? You see, God creates, he separates, and he brings order. So let's read verse 2 and explain. Maybe you're confused about the watery wasteland. Verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void. Now the, the Hebrew phrase for without form and void comes from a phrase in Hebrew called tohu vavohu. And I just love that. And basically, what tohu vavohu means is a chaotic, watery wasteland of nothingness. A chaotic, watery wasteland of nothingness. Remember, nothing existed before God was there. Darkness was over the face of the deep. But we know the spirit, the ruach, the wind, the breath, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, to, to expound on the creation imagery, I'm going to take you to Psalm 33. Because we can see the same emphasis of God bringing order to chaos is, is referenced in Psalm 33, verse 6 to 9, in the ESV version I'm going to read. Psalm 33, verse 6 to 9. But the word of the Lord, the by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the ruach, the breath of his mouth, all the hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Can you see in Psalm 33 how everything is reinforced on the Genesis account? Number one, how the word, by God's word, he spoke and, th and creation existed. By the breath, the ruach of his mouth, things were created and existed. Not only that, but things were separated and ordered. He gathered the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts it in a measurement. He puts it in place. He puts it in order and structure. He puts the deeps in storehouses. And obviously in verse 9, like we read, he repeats it. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Standing firm speaks about a structure, or order, organization. We all know that we always say God is a God of order. But for me, Genesis 1 just articulates what that order is and how he does it. We see God working. This is how God works. We all acknowledge that God worked six days, and this is how he did. He created, 
He separated and he ordered. But you see, the beauty of this relationship we have with God is God didn't want to just exist and work alone. He creates humanity, Adam, as co-laborers. We are God's co-laborers. He invites us into the story of creation. Reading from the message, paraphrasing, he says, he, he created us as co-laborers that we can be responsible for the earth itself. It's our responsibility. The earth is our responsibility. God has given it to us. Another more traditional translation that you're familiar with speaks of us filling, subduing, and having dominion. Isn't that another way of saying creating, separating, and ordering? You see how God invites us into the type of work that he himself already started and does. I just love that. Now, let's read the last verse of Genesis 1. Verse 31. And notice again the pattern. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. You can see the verse ends in a typical rhythmic pattern of the familiar phrase, there was evening, and there was morning. It concludes the rhythm of the six days of work. And we all know what comes after the sixth day. I think we focus on that a lot. We, we focus on that God rested on the seventh day, and so how much more must we rest? It wasn't so much the day of rest that I was interested, the Sabbath, that so often we focus on. You see, so much of our working life, we, we put through the effort that we need to. We, we work hard on the, on the six or the five days. We, we do everything we can so that on the seventh day, we can either collapse and physically rest, or we now rest with God. We haven't had time to spend with him in the six days. And then we, okay, seventh day is, is, is reserved for God and we rest there. But God was saying to me that the sixth day, the patterns and the rhythm that he created in the sixth day was very and more important on how we are to approach those six days and how we are to rest in the work itself. And this is what I'm going to be speaking on again. You see, let's repeat those patterns. Firstly, it was evening and morning. God speaks. Things come into existence, chaos comes into order, and God sees that it is good. And then again, it's evening and morning. God speaks, things come into existence, chaos comes into order, and God sees that it is good. See, God used this rhythmic pattern and structure to answer my question on how we as Christ ones are to live and work in a time that we find ourselves in. You know, this world can be explained and expressed and illustrated as tohu bavohu. We live in a world that is in chaos. You see, but God is ever-present, working with and in us. He has already set the rhythm that we are to arrange our own hearts, our own minds, our own bodies to. Evening and morning, God speaks instruction and guidance to our hearts. For us to create and bring order to the world around us. God then assesses with us our day and works with us. And he declares and he says and he sees that it is good. And then it's evening and morning. Let me repeat that. Evening and morning. God speaks instruction and guidance to our heart. Remember, God speaks. Then for us to be involved with him in the creating, in the separating, in the ordering, to bring order to the world around us. And then God says 
and he assesses our day and he declares that it is good and for us to start again evening and morning. You see, this all started for me when I, like I said, I was reading the book on how to pray the Psalms and it all started with Psalm 1. For me, I've always been a Proverbs, Proverbs kind of guy. I've always enjoyed the wisdom and the practical application of what the Proverbs bring through Solomon and David. But I... I found a new love for the Psalms and I've seen Psalms in a new light on how purposely the Psalms are structured to reflect the whole pattern of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And you see, Psalm 1 reflects on Genesis and it's very clear when we, when we study and we research it. And for example, Eugene Peterson in the message, he puts it right there. And I'm going to read Psalm 1 verse 2 and 3 from the message. It says there, and remember, Psalm 1 is comp contrasting and comparing two types of people. The people that focus on God and his word and meditate on him and the direct result of that and the world and the wicked who do not. So let me just read verse 2 and 3 to you quickly. It says here from the message, Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scriptures day and night. You are a tree planted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month never dropping a leaf, always in bosom. You're probably more familiar with the traditional translation where it says those who meditate on the scriptures day or night are like a tree planted by living waters. You see, Eugene Peterson recognizes the pattern that the psalm author is doing. He's referring back to the Genesis account. He says you chew on the scriptures day and night. You meditate on chewing. Someone asked me a question from Bible study after I dropped him off. He said, what's the difference between prayer and meditation? And, you know, the, the, the definition that the Lord gave to me is the one I found in my meditation. And you can see it in scriptures. You see, praying is not so much that God does our will, but it's for us to recognize his will and for him to do his will in our lives. But meditating, the best way we can explain what meditating is, is the physical act of chewing. Like a cow chews on the cud. We are supposed to, that's why it says eat of the word. We're supposed to chew, ponder, and meditate with our minds. Put it in our minds and ponder on it, meditate it. For me, I found the word that's most helpful to me is to study it, to literally break it apart, to study. And that's what chewing does. It breaks it apart. It makes it digestible for your spirit and your soul to understand. So when, when the psalmist says you chew on the scripture day and night, it's always in our mind. It's always in our hearts. Then we become a tree, replanted. Notice the word that Eugene Peterson says. He takes, it's like we're going back. We're now repositioned back into the Garden of Eden, where we should have been all along. We're replanted in Eden, in God's perfect delight. And there we bear fresh fruit consistently and continually, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You see, if we partake of the rhythm of day and night, of chewing on the scripture, this, this gives us an ability to consistently and continually bring order into our own spiritual lives and the world around us. It's just such a powerful way of, of seeing it and looking at it. Now, let me give you another picture. Let me give you another picture of you know, I've basically done a literary study of Genesis 1, and I can assure you there's far more. There's far more if you apply yourself to Genesis 1. There's far more for, for you to see. And I, for me, the Lord, 
when I came into ministry, he gave me a desire to study scripture and the literary, how it is structured and how it is put together. And that's, and it's not, it's not, doesn't mean all of us have to come and study it like English literature or Hebrew literature. But for me, that it came alive to me in that way. And I challenge you to find your connection point with scripture. Find the way you can connect to scripture. And that's why it's such an alive and wonderful book or, or full of life is because no matter who you are, and no matter how you connect and approach scripture, you will always find life in it. No matter where you come from, no matter how, what your background is, you will always connect to scripture. It is alive and it continually speaks to us. For me, it was, like I said, it was like a study. It was a literature study of, of how it was put together. But the Lord gave me another illustration, which I'm going to break down and spend time now and illustrate further what I mean by this intimate rhythm and how when we spend time with God in an intimate rhythmic pattern, consistently, evening and morning, how it can bring peace, calm and greater health, not only to our spirit man, but to the world around us and our families. It's a picture of the beautiful relationship between a mother and her baby. Specifically, how a mother's heartbeat and voice can bring immediate, immediate rest. Knowing me like some of you know, I research, and that's what I did. When, when the Lord dropped a picture of my mind, he was, I remember in the morning, he was reminding me when pondering on rhythm and, and patterns, he was reminding me of the very first experience of rhythm that we have as human beings is the sound of our mother's heartbeat in the womb. Think about it. The very first sound that we hear or the pattern and the vibration that we feel like the Ruach of God, the very first thing is the sound and the feeling of our mother's heartbeat inside of us. So I researched and I found there's many experiments that have tried and that have unpacked the importance of a mother's heartbeat to a baby. So I'm going to present three of them to you right now that highlight this importance of the rhythm of the mother's heartbeat and her voice to her baby. Let me, let me present them to you now. Experiment one, and I'm quoting here. Over 30 years ago in the United States, there was a study conducted where they recorded the heartbeats of healthy mothers and played it for babies in the nurseries. The babies who heard the heartbeat recorded cried less, slept better. Furthermore, when compared to the babies who did not hear the, the recording, they also had better development as far as weight was concerned. So we talk about 30 years ago, they played a recording of the heartbeat to babies where the mothers were not present. And you can see the direct result of hearing that heartbeat. They cried less, they rested, slept better, and also they had a healthier disposition. And they translated that to weight gain. We all know how important it is for early babies to, have, to gain weight. It's basically growth. So let's translate that to our spirit man. We are no longer, we are, when we hear the heartbeat of God, we are less anxious. We sleep better. What does that mean? We rest. This is number one problem I am, I'm experiencing that people have today is a greater level of anxiety. And not just tremendous anxiety, but even a little bit of anxiety. They can't sleep as well. They're always troubled in their mind. They don't know how to switch their mind off. Thoughts and, and doubts and, and troubles will keep turning in our heads. And I believe the answer is a consistent, intimate heartbeat in God's presence. We will have more peace. God promises us peace. And of course, 
Like a baby grows, we too will grow in stature. Now that's just experiment one. You guys, you can say to me, well, Stephen, that's 30 years ago. A lot has changed. Things are outdated. Okay, let me give you a more recent study. Experiment two from 2015. A more recent study in 2015 at Harvard Medical School suggests that when premature babies are exposed to recordings of their mother's voice and heartbeat, the functioning of their auditory cortex, the part of the brain which helps us hear, is significantly improved. Now, I want you to listen carefully. This blew my mind. So we're talking about 2015, Harvard Medical School. They're focusing on premature babies. In other words, they came out of the womb early and they hadn't fully developed yet. And now, coming out of the womb earlier, they haven't fully developed. They expose these babies to the mother's recordings of the mother's voice and heartbeat. And how the auditory context, the part of the brain which helps us hear, how it is improved. Let me read it to you. Once the auditory cortex starts to function, the fetus normally hears mostly low-frequency sounds. Bass for all of you. It's low-frequency. It's mother's heartbeat, for example, and the melody and the rhythm of her voice. Higher-frequency tones made outside of the mother's body, such as consonants, are largely drowned out. This is their findings. Researchers believe that this introduction to the melody and the rhythm of speech prior to hearing individual words may be a key part of early language acquisition that gets disrupted when a baby is born too soon. Let me paraphrase. Some babies come out too soon and the, the, the ability to hear, which is normally sometimes they come out before the auditory cortex, before the ability to hear and process sound is developed, it, gets, it disrupts the ability to process and understand language because they didn't get that time in the womb to develop and to hear. And how does that develop? By hearing the mother's heartbeat and by hearing the mother's voice, the rhythm and the melody. That's a direct quote from them. The melody and the rhythm of her voice helps a baby in the womb develop the, the way they hear. Now this, this one experiment spoke deeply to me. As a baby hearing develops in the womb, so we are developed to hear our father's heartbeat. I just love that they underline the, the importance of the low frequency sounds. The baby first hears low frequency sounds of a mother's heartbeat and her voice. Other outside noises are drowned out. It's the same for us. Our heavenly father who knew us before we were shaped in our mother's womb has designed us to first hear his rhythmic heartbeat in intimacy with him, evening and morning, enabling us to drown out outside noises. Let me repeat that. When we intimately connect with the heartbeat of our Father, when we spend time with him, and, and I'm not talking about the religious practice. This is what I want to bring across today. It's one thing to do something as a ritual and something with obligation. But I believe that's not the Father's desire. The Father's desire is intimacy with us. And when we have intimacy with Him on a regular heartbeat moment, evening and morning, consistently, it enables us to learn to hear Him better and enables us to help drown out the outside noises. Like a baby was designed to hear the mother's heartbeat first and not the outside noises, so are we to learn to hear the 
father's voice first and not the outside noises. Let me give you the last experiment, experiment three. And this one was done as recently as last year. Another experiment last year, mothers left their toddlers of varying ages, some walking already. So now we're not talking about premature babies now, and we're not talking about new, newborn babies now. We're talking about toddlers. Some of them are walking, some of them they put in a sitting position, some of them are crawling. So the mothers placed their toddlers in alone in a room, and they left their children, and they went in another room, and the children couldn't see them. Immediately the child felt uneasy and afraid. But then through the loudspeakers, they played the sound of their mother's heartbeat. Like I said, the mother was hidden, they couldn't see. So they played through the loudspeakers, the mother's heartbeat, and immediately, the study states, immediately the children calmed down and even smiled. Now, for me, I love the conclusion this article cited, this experiment. Let me read it from you. Let me quote directly what the article cites as the, the findings of this experiment. It doesn't matter if the mother works or not, if she breastfeeds or bottle feeds. Attachments, attachment develops during the time the mother spends with her baby, sharing together, skin to skin, making eye contact. Attachment is very important because it becomes a child's main reference for knowing reality. Attachment gives the child the confidence to grow and security as he has begun to navigate the outside world. Isn't that amazing how the attachment of a mother is so crucial and critical in a child's development? Skin on skin, eye contact, and as we heard already and as we have gone through three different experiments, hearing the sound of the mother's heartbeat and melody and rhythm of her voice. For me, this blew my mind away. And let me, let me, do a, let me rephrase their conclusion and apply to what, how I'm sharing the word of God with you today. And this is the rephrase that I've done. It doesn't matter if you work in the world or not. If you partake of the word first or second hand, intimacy develops during the time the father spends with you personally, sharing together skin to skin, making heartbeat contact with him. Intimacy with the father is very important because it becomes our main reference for knowing reality. Intimacy gives us the confidence to grow and security as we experience and navigate the outside world. The Lord reminded me a passage of scripture that gives life to everything that I'm saying now, where Jesus invites us into this intimate, rhythmic relationship with him. And that's found in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, and particularly the message translation. For me, like I say, find scripture that speaks to you. Find the way that scripture can speak to you. The, the best advice that I give to people that struggle to understand what is prayer and how to pray, how, what is meditation and how to meditate, I say, the Lord has designed you as a person uniquely and individually. He's created you a set of interests. And use that interest to engage in the word of God because we know it's alive and it can be approached and engaged in, in different ways. That's why we have different translations of the Bible. Obviously, it's important to not choose one over the other. It's important to understand what the word says. For me, I find the message, which is a, a, 
it's almost a commentary style of reading the Word of God. It's not a word for word, and you need to understand that. And that's why I like reading both the English Standard Version and the Message. One is a word for word translation, and one is a commentary. And this is why I'm going to read Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 from a commentary from Eugene Peterson. It says here, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I just love that passage of scripture because it tells us it's Jesus inviting us. You may know the scripture as my, I, come to me and I'll give you a yoke that is easy and my burden is light. You know, the, but I really love the way it puts it. It says, walk with me, work with me. You see, as believers, we're not meant to stop working. He created humanity to work. That is our purpose in life is to work and to cultivate the land and have dominion over the land that the authority of the Lord has given us. But he wants us to do it with him together, yoked with him. That speaks of a relationship. You see, the Lord answered me that real rest is in him, not away from work, but walking and working together with him. He longs to spend rhythmic, consistent evening and morning moments with us where we can watch how he does it and how he did it in the word and repeat just like he did. When we hear and experience his heartbeat in the word, we begin to learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. If we keep company with him as a relationship, intimate heartbeat moments, we truly learn to live freely and lightly. It's no wonder that our physical lives will end if the rhythm of our heartbeat ceases. It's the same in our spirit man. Our inner heartbeats were created to be in consist, consistent beat with the Heavenly Father. If we don't maintain and hear the heartbeat of the Father, we will struggle in this world. And we're not meant to strive or struggle. We're meant to live out of the natural and the rhythmic timing of His heartbeat in His Spirit. And that's what I wanted to share with you uh, in this time. And I, I trust that you're encouraged by what I'm sharing with you today, is that it's to see God in a different light, not to just look at your Bible as a as black text on white paper, but to understand what his heart is conveying through that text and how he put, puts it across. And that's why I focused on the Genesis and the Psalms and, and ended with Matthew, because I think we need to engage God in that heartbeat moments. And I trust all of you have already had those moments. You know what it's like. But I also know that if you don't have it regularly and consistently, you can, you can be overcome by the world. That's why the parable that Jesus gave of the three types of soil or the types of soil, it's, it's everlasting parable. That applies to every man on this, on this earth and has ever walked and will ever walk. And no matter if you're a non-believer or a believer, what you do with the word and your heart soil and how it is prepared is so critical to receiving that word. And I trust you're blessed with what I had to share and yeah, if anybody has any questions, I'll do my best to answer.
you can either ask me now or you, you know my email address if you want uh, direct contact and I'll share with my own experience. But yeah, just want to encourage you to find that, that mechanism of how, of how to engage, how to bring life to the passages that you're reading. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.